Welcome back to episode 66 of They Think It's All Over. Sit back, strap yourself in. We've got a busy one. Welcome back, listener. It's episode 66 of They Think It's All Over, the football shirt show. I am Adrian, Football Shirtalia, and I'll tell you what, we've got an absolutely slam dunk show for you this week. We've got Premier League footballers, we've got published authors, but more importantly, we've got Mike and Adam. How are you both? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the pod again. Looking forward to a, a jam-packed episode. And I'm, I'm good as always. you got a new shiny thing in front of you today, Mike? I have, yeah. Well, we obviously we've been working really hard behind the scenes to get some pretty bloody good guests coming up. So I thought I'd try and look a little bit more professional when we do this and and buy myself a nice little mic because when I listen back, sometimes I think the sound quality is not very good. So I thought I'd try and improve it for both myself listening back and everybody else. So yeah, I bought a little mic for us. So hopefully you can all hear my dodgy, weird kind of Gloucestershire, Worcestershire accent a little clearer than normal. I'm getting MLS shirt vibes from it. I mean, it's it's changing colours quite a lot. What's the kit, Adam, that I'm thinking of? Oh, it looks a bit like the the Minnesota one, doesn't it? Um, the Aurora lights. Uh, I'm a big fan, obviously. Um, listeners might know me as this one kit on Twitter, and I tweet a lot about rainbow shirts. And yeah, it's a rainbow microphone. I think it's lovely. Good purchase, Mike. It is. It's, it's a very good purchase. I, I, I bought it. I looked at a load of reviews and... I, I settled on this one because I don't want to spend too much money because, you know, cost of living crisis and all that, isn't it? Um, but then, yeah, it, it's it's good. And, and then weirdly, I was watching a little video and it's the same one as Sergio Aguero uses when he when he plays his video games online. He's a big gamer, isn't he? Um, he Nobody is, yeah. I, yeah. I was going to say, uh, AD was shaking his head as if I have no idea. I, I, I was going to say, you tell me, but in, in a desperate desire to be relevant, young and hip, I was going to pretend that I knew this. But, uh, <laughs> no. But Adam knows. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a gamer as well. Um, I don't watch his uh, Twitch stream because I'm too old to watch Twitch. I just play the games. I don't understand the uh, the streaming aspect of it. But I know that, yeah, Sergio Aguero does spend a lot of his time doing it and seemingly towards the end of his career spent a lot of his time doing it as well. There we go. We have got a lot to fit in this week. So we're going to have a quick news. Mike, no kit history. Tom's been busy speaking to a Premier League footballer today about a news item and a, and a great charity initiative. And then we had uh, Pedro, the um, at Pedronator, join us for a special record as well this week as we speak to the author of a book around uh, Portuguese cup finals. We're coming up to cup final season soon. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a jam-packed episode, really, isn't it? And a fair, fair few voices to be heard on it today as well. And as you say, Tom is, because he was busy, uh, what, what would you call, gallivanting with Premier League footballers today. He's he's not joined us for tonight, but you will get to hear his lovely voice still. Yeah, he has got a bit big time, isn't he? Like, he's, he's sort of treated to record today as optional, but it when's is, it ever it been is. optional? It's like, oh, I was I was chatting to a Premier League footballer. I work at Sky Sports. I am not recording with you. Like, fuck you, Tom. Yeah, fuck you, Tom. <laughs> Uh, we're also going to have a quiz because we've got a lot of great feedback about last week's quiz. This week's isn't going to be as good, uh, but it is Eurovision this week. And I've just come back from Liverpool and a nice day out of the Eurovision village. So I'm feeling particularly Eurovision themed and I've uh, come up with a little Eurovision teaser for you both that will cram in as well before the feature. Just got to say, as soon I asked Adam if he could join us tonight and he basically said yes. But as soon as I said there was a Eurovision based quiz, it became a fuck yes, I can. Yeah, that was essentially my reaction. A huge Eurovision fan. 
I can't promise I know memory is terrible for the quiz, but I love it. In fact, I'm going up to Liverpool uh, this weekend for Eurovision. Uh, very excited. Not got tickets for the actual thing, which is frustrating, but going to, to a party down in uh, in Liverpool, very much looking forward to it and looking forward to the quiz as well. Excellent. Good. I'm glad we've set you up for disappointment. In that case, let's move on to this week's news. A couple of items to cover off this week. I think we want to talk about the new Liverpool shirt that's come out and also Napoli have released about 17 new shirts in a day. So who wants to go first? I'll um I'll take it first. I'll, I'll let Adam take Liverpool. Um, and then I'll, so so we'll start off with the Napoli. So yeah, everybody would have seen it by now. None of us are surprised by it. Um, but maybe the volume of the, the release is what has been the surprise. So obviously everybody expected something new from Napoli after they were crowned uh, Serie A champions. And what they've done is they've essentially released um, how many was it in the end? Like seventeen or so? Or no, even even more possibly. I I don't know. Too many. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. Last year was was last year thirteen or fourteen, and this year they were quite modest. It wasn't only about ten until this week. It it was until this week. Yeah. So so this so this new one. Admittedly, the one th- the one saving grace for me is it's it's not being worn on the pitch. So for me, just the way I think about it, it's not actually a football shirt. It's just a commemorative shirt. And what they've done is they've basically given you the option to pick your player, and they're sort of like player art and portraits, a bit reminiscent of a former guest art on shirts, the sort of thing that he does really, you know, that, that sort of like uh, the, the uh, oil painting type style thing with signatures and all sorts. I mean, some of them look quite cool to be honest with you. They're not my cup of tea, but yeah, they've done it for every single player in the squad, I believe. So that obviously tallies up quite a lot, but the one thing, as I say, I just want to reiterate not being worn on the pitch. So as a, if you're an adamant Napoli shirt collector, it might not necessarily fall as something that you would feel obliged to buy anyway. They did try and get it registered as a match shirt. Um, this story <laughs> sort of leaked a few months ago and they genuinely, genuinely did try and, and have these shirts as match shirts. I'm I'm glad they were told no, for everybody's sake, because I don't mind these things as sort of like a commemorative thing, but on the pitch, I don't like this sort of thing. Like I, I think we had this discussion when they released the Maradona one and I don't like that either. I, I, I don't like actual sort of pictures almost like photos printed on a on a football shirt I, I don't mind things that are inspired by stadiums and inspired by people and has patterns that are pulled out of different structures and so on but when you're literally just kind of taking a photo and just kind of plopping it on the shirt I, I it's just not for me but hey yeah, it reminds me a little bit there was a a spate of spanish shirts wasn't there that had like prawns on them and that kind of thing um which looked terrible and i kind of feel like the napoli shirts are like an extension of that they're just yeah I mean I wasn't a huge fan of the Maradona shirt personally even though I saw like the, the reasoning behind it and and it was quite touching obviously um with his passing but yeah I, I agree with you I, I don't think it looks that professional I don't think it's aesthetically that pleasing I don't really like Napoli shirts that much anyway to be honest there haven't been that many Napoli shirts that I've been a fan of um but yeah these these new ones as well not for me and the price is fucking horrendous as well. If you want to throw that yeah. in the mix, Jesus yeah. Christ, awful! Yeah. Wasn't it like a hundred and fifty euros or something? Yeah, before shipping as well, I think. So, um, yeah, that's uh, mental actually. But um, 
Where does this rank in the scheme of awful shirts Napoli have released this year? Then, because they had the Halloween one, they had the Valentine's one, they had the Christmas one. I think the worst one was the Christmas one. I, I still think it looks like a straight out of when I was at school in 1996 and I was asked to design a t-shirt and I used clip art and I just pulled a picture of a, an old uh, reindeer and just plopped it on the front and that's that. I think it's by far, I, I would go as far, we've we've talked about possibly doing the top 20 worst football shirts of all time and for me, it's already dead set. It's that Napoli Christmas shirt that's that's going to gonna take that as number one. Adam, do you think that one's ho-ho-ho horrendous or um, is there another one that takes the, the uh, biscuit view? Um, no, I, I completely agree with Mike. Actually, I wasn't a huge fan of the Valentine's Day one either. Um, the giant lips on it were particularly gross. Um, but yeah, the, Mike's absolutely right. It looked like it was so lazily designed, like clip art. It, it's it's hilarious, actually, how it even got as far as it did uh, to being produced. The mind boggles. I will say, if I am going to talk about a good one, though, I I do like that. I like both of the Halloween ones that they had over the last two years, but particularly i do the more i see it the more I like the black spider web one and i gotta be honest with you i kind of part of me although italian shirt's not really my thing i don't buy a lot of them i kind of regret not at least looking at getting one of those because the more the time goes on the more i like that one it's always the ones that got away but uh the scudetto didn't get away from napoli this weekend uh, yeah congratulations to them for their on the pitch efforts and the parties i think most people have seen probably more often more party clips on Twitter than they've seen of entrances to Luton Town or Will Still stats over the last week or so. But uh, let's move on to another kit that's come out this week. Adam, what have you got? Yeah, so as a Liverpool fan, I'm very excited that the new Liverpool shirt is out. The positives are it's red. Um, it's actually a really lovely shade of red. It's a bit more vibrant than Nike have done for us recently. So it's it's very it's more of a scarlet red, and it has a very nice white collar and white cuff combo uh, based on the 1974 FA Cup win. It's also very reminiscent of the Reebok shirt from 1998. The negatives, it's the same template as this season. It is a thing that Nike are doing. They are making their templates last over a couple of seasons. They tend to have like three or four of them. And that's a good way of doing things, I guess. But when it's the same home shirt, having the same template, that's a little bit off especially when we get to the price, which has gone up to, on the Liverpool website, it's £114.95. If you buy it from Nike, it's £125 for the, well, we'll call it the match version. And it's just incredible how much they've gone up. So if you want the stadium, that's £80. The quality isn't as good. Still a lot. It's it's still a lot of money. Um, I actually did a little test of, um because I remember when I was younger, I got my first adult size shirt was the first Reebok Liverpool home shirt they had, uh, which was back in 96. And that cost £38. And according to an inflation calculator, that's about £71 now. And obviously, you've got the stadium version is the cheaper version. That's more akin to what that shirt would have been like. But then the differences between the stadium and the match back then weren't as high. So the price is just ridiculous. Um, I'm not going to buy it yet because I can't justify spending that amount of money on it. But the actual shirt itself, I really like. Um, I've actually got a tweet up here from a friend of the pod, Kit for Brains, who tweeted, seems there's only two sides to this debate. I'd like to know where people fall on the issue. When does a shirt cross the line from being clean and classy to boring and lazy? And that mirrors what I've seen on the shirt, actually. A lot of people saying it's clean and classy. Everyone else saying it's very lazy, 
did the designers have a day off? I'm very much in the clean and classy camp myself. Yeah, it's an amazing divide of opinion about exactly the same shirt, essentially. I am with you, Adam. I like it. I, I do like, I, I love a collar and cuff um, combination anyway that matches like that. And the fact it's got that throwback element, I, I think it's really nice. I'm a big fan of the shirt as well, to be honest. Um, I know we don't see a lot of long sleeve versions today, but I can't remember who it was. I did see someone put on Twitter about the the idea of that one being long sleeve would look incredible long sleeve would look even more reminiscent of that was it you say it was a 70s shirt a late 70s or something yeah it's a 74 fa cup win it's it's mirrored on yeah that's because i don't want to get too geeky about it but i actually think this one absolutely needs long sleeves because the cuff is so big and chunky i think when somebody's wearing that with red under armor it'll look look quite silly potentially but yeah yeah and um and just to to quickly touch on something as well it would just uh, one thing that obviously we've, we have talked about price a lot on this podcast and, you know, we, we don't like the way the prices are going, but I hadn't actually thought of what you said, because I've done the whole sort of like inflation calculators before to see on the cost of shirts. And I've always thought to myself, well, to be fair, you know, it isn't far off what we were paying, but you are right. Back then, a, a, a match issue, player issue, player worn, whatever, compared to a standard replica, what would usually just be possibly embroidered badges, maybe a bigger sponsor, and that's pretty much it. I think that might be the biggest issue, that not only is the price going up, but the standard of those replicas is definitely, certainly with Nike, in my opinion, is certainly coming down. Um, I know with Adidas, you get the sort of like MLS replica, authentic battle and so on, but Nike particularly, yeah, I, I think that's the thing for Liverpool fans. You're looking at 70 to 80 quid, whatever it is, for what could be a very basic, not particularly nice feeling shirt. Yeah, it's got sting for the fans, but I think from collector's perspective, we probably don't buy too many shirts full price anyway. So um, if, if we hold your nerve, I'm sure it'll come down in price. The most shocking thing for me, from what Adam said, actually, was that you've both actually bought adult size shirts. I thought you were still just buying extra large boys. Uh, every now and man. again. <laughs> I'm a small man. <laughs> and I, extra small. I, I think you'll find I've got so chubby. I need mediums and a few. <laughs> no, good stuff. Good stuff. Right. The final bit of news today is going to be brought to you. A pre-recorded piece that we're going to push in now. Tom had the pleasure chatting earlier today with Emiliano Marcondes, the Danish footballer for, for Bournemouth, previously for Brentford. And I think at the moment he's on loan at FC Norgeland. But um, he spoke to Tom about his brilliant new initiative, Shirt for Change, which you can find out all about at the Twitter handle at Shirts Change. Let's hear from them both now. So today on They Think It's All Over, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by the Danish midfielder Emiliano Marcondes, formerly of Brentford, currently of Bournemouth and on loan for FC Nordisland. So hello, Emiliano. Hello, how are you? I'm really good and I'm absolutely delighted that you're joining us because I think what you are doing at the moment is just an incredible passion project and it's something that all of the listeners that listen to this podcast and everyone within the football kit community should get behind and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what Shirts for Change is. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, Thank you for inviting me uh, to this podcast. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I, uh, I started this campaign uh, because I went down to Uganda uh, to see this academy that uh, are run by um, some people that I have been working close to in FC Norseland, um, where I'm playing currently playing now. Uh, I played there before as well. Um, 
when I was 14, I came to, to Northland and I had a youth coach there who is now running the, the El Campio Academy uh, in Uganda. And um, yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, gathering a lot of uh, um, attention and uh, money to, to, uh, to run this academy, which is uh, yeah, with the same values that Ride to Dream. So giving the opportunities to, to people that won't have it necessarily uh, without him uh, creating the, the, the facilities and atmosphere and, and coaching, education, uh, school, etc. Um, so I wanted to help in in the way I could, and then uh, yeah, I've I've always uh, been uh, very motivated by uh, game match worn shirts, and, and uh, as a kid, I remember how it was um, to to win a match worn shirt, um, uh, and. Uh, I have a story from when I was uh, young and uh, I won uh, in a penalty shootout um, uh, a match one shirt from a professional footballer here in Denmark. And uh, I just remember that feeling of having uh, something from a professional. It made me a lot closer to to my dream, which was uh, becoming a professional. And uh, that really motivated me to to yeah both becoming a professional, but also the aware of the platform that I had if I was becoming a professional. Um, so that is, is uh, as big a uh, motivation to, to give the feeling that I had as a kid to the next generation and to kids as well. So if I can just uh, yeah, give, give that feeling to one, one kid in this campaign with the, with the shirt for change, that will make me so happy and, uh, and uh, yeah, give give me the same feeling as as scoring a, a goal or or winning a trophy. I, honestly, I think that's an incredible story that you have to tell, and it's one that I know all of our listeners will relate to massively. And I think it's so admirable that you're doing this, and you've got some great people, teammates, former teammates that are helping yeah. you out with it. So people like Christian Eriksen, Ivan Tony, Christian Norgard, that they're, they're all shirts that people can enter the raffles for to try and win, aren't they? Yeah, um, and I I think all of the players that have have uh, donated a shirt, they they can relate to that feeling uh, when they when they were a kid, um, and and that's why they they wanted to participate as well. And uh, yeah, I'm very thankful for for all of them uh, wanted to help uh, this great cause. Um, and also the way we are doing it, um, we we were wondering how we should do it in the beginning, and. Uh, I think they have done some some uh, previous uh, donation uh, as well with football shirts, but that has been uh, like highest bidder. Um, yes. But I was very, uh, I didn't like that idea because for me as a kid, I will not be able to then win um, because I didn't have uh, a lot and I don't come from a, a, a wealthy family. Uh, grew up with my dad only. So if, if it was me as a kid, I would not uh, have been... It would not have been able uh, to to win, or possible for for me to win anything to to be the highest bidder. So we made it uh, as a raffle. So you buy uh, an entry for uh, the smallest amount we could get, which was five uh, five euro, uh, and then you have um, you have ten entries uh, in 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 the raffle uh, to win the shirt, and then you can choose which shirt you wanna you wanna yeah be in the raffle of. 
Yeah, I think it's great. And again, just to remind people where they can do this, you can donate this money and enter into these raffles at go.rallyup.com forward slash shirts for change. And I will share a link on the podcast socials. And I believe people have until May the 17th to enter. And then the draw will be on May the 20th. And like I said, some fantastic prizes. You've got a Theo Hernandez, AC Milan shirt, Simon Kier, some of your own shirts, of course, from Bournemouth and Nordisland. And it's it's something I implore everyone to, to go and have a look at this site and to donate and possibly win an amazing shirt too. Um, before I let you go, Emiliano, I, I really appreciate your time. But we do always ask one question to our guests when they come on the yeah. podcast. And I know yeah. you're a bit of a, a football shirt fan. But what is your dream shirt? Your favorite shirt of all time? Uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I it does it have to be a foot, footballer or uh, it, or just it, the club or the, the country? You you can take your pick. It's your fantasy shirt, so you can choose whichever you would like. I think the the shirt I have had most of is uh, probably Brazilian, the Brazilian national team shirt with all names. I think that the yellow and uh, and green. Um, it just it's just a, a pure example, or uh, yeah, a pure example of football. That it, it just it, it's just that football, uh, and and going to Brazil and see so many people uh, wearing that shirt just on a normal day is it's just uh, it's just uh, yeah, symbolize that it's a football country and everyone loves football. And I don't think you can wear a Brazilian shirt without uh, saying. That you love, you love football, and uh, yeah, it's like you, you can't really hate the Brazilian shirts. Um, and I've had yeah so many with Pele, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Robinho, Rivaldo, uh, and now Neymar. Uh, growing up, I had um, uh, that was my idols, and uh, yeah, always always try to 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 get some of the shirts um, when I was in Brazil. I absolutely love that answer. I think, you know, you're a true football shirt fan. And like I said, I implore everyone to get behind this initiative and we'll be sharing it loads. But Emiliano, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you. It's a great initiative, but obviously my, my, my favourite part of the whole thing is is the, the raffle aspect of it. Obviously, as much as we condemn raffles sometimes, but this in this particular instance is how they should work because this genuinely has given people an opportunity while you know whilst raising money for a good cause to to get hold of a shirt they might not get. You know, the I think they're correct in saying obviously these things these things go on auctions, people just start throwing crazy amounts of money at them, and it just people like me and you just don't get a chance. So I, I think it's really, really good. I really like it. And yeah, obviously a really good cause as well. So yeah, absolutely fair play to him. I think that's fantastic. Shirts for Change at Shirts Change. We'll make sure we share that loads over the next few days as well. That wraps up the news, unless anybody's got anything else. No? I'll tell you what, let's do things a little bit differently this week. So coming up in a moment, we do have a great feature, as we said, with Philippe de Alaves, the author of 1000 Miles to Jamor which is the venue of the Portuguese Cup final. But before that, let's have a little Eurovision theme quiz, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. So this week, we are going to play Making Your Mind Up. See what I've done there? I see what you did. Yeah, yeah. This is the peak already. Um, 
I am going to give you both alternatively, alternatively, in alternate order, the winner of the Eurovision contest, the band name, the country they're from, and I'm going to give you two names of potential band members. One will be the band member. The other will be a footballer. All make sense? Yep, got it. Yep, makes sense. Not looking forward to it now. I I mean, this is going to really work for you, Adam, (laughs) being a a Eurovision buff you are. I'm I'm sure this will be be great. Right, who wants to go first? Heads or tails, Mike? Adam said heads and he won. Adam said heads and he won. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I did that with my mind. Right, let's kick off this week's quiz, Making Your Mind Up. Adam, in 2022, Ukraine won Eurovision Song Contest. Can you remember the song? I remember how it goes. It was a yeah. sing it, sing it then. <laughs> I can't sing. I thought you'd tell me to fuck off when I said sing it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 right. That's exactly how it went. Um yeah. <laughs> It was Kulish Orchestra with their mm-hmm. song Stefani. My question for you, Adam, is Oleg Hoysik or Andrei Pyatov a member of Kulish Orchestra? I'm going to go with Oleg. Oleg Pyatov. You're right. You are a massive Eurovision fan. Well done. Absolutely. Well done. Even though I didn't know the name of the song, I just knew the music. But still, massive fan. Massive fan. And Andrei Pyatov, of course, plays for Shakhtar Donetsk. Mike, I can tell you're going to enjoy this. So in 2021, the Italian band Maniskin won Eurovision. Big, big fan of Maniskin, to be honest. Yep, good. Let, we're going to find out how big a fan you are, because the lead singer of Maniskin, is it Nicolo Pasilli or is it Damiano David? It's Damiano David. Well done, Mike. Well done, Mike. You really are. I, I'm not actually joking. I genuinely am a fan of Maniskin. So. Yeah, they're really good. They're they are really, very good. They are a genuinely good band. Yeah. They are. They are. And as you both know, I'm sure, um, Nicola Pasilli made his debut for Roma this week against Inter Milan. So well, I'm not ashamed to admit that if I, I would never have got that from the footballer. I, I like <laughs> to go a bit, you know, away from the uh, the, the well trodden path. Adam. In 2006, uh, actually, I will. This is not a quiz, but do you know who won it in 2006? Oh, I can't remember 2006. If I said Finland, Finnish Eurovision winner. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. We're going with Lordy. Lordy, good. Yeah, this is looking good for you. So, is one of the band members of Lordy called Yol Papapalo or Tomni Lilmug? Can I have those again? You can. <laughs> I can't read that right very well, but uh, Joel Papapalo. Or Tomney Lilmug. Might be the second one. The second one. Yep. Tomney Lilmug, or it might even be Lil Man, is, is a band member of Lobby. Well done, Adam. Excellent. Uh, bonus points if anybody could tell me who um, Joel Papapalo plays for. Scored four goals last week, likes to celebrate by drinking a beer. Uh, St. Pauli? <laughs> and that would be quite in keeping. It's the uh, Venezia centre forward. In oh, Surrey. that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. Uh, um, I was trying to think. <laughs> uh, no, I saw the picture. And I just saw, I remembered it was a dark shirt and so went with the brown of St. Pauli. But yeah. I mean, that's what Venezia want to be. They want to be that cool hip club. I think um, they do, but don't it's they? too manufactured. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll move on. No, I'm not bitter about being blocked by their Twitter account. Uh, in 2000, <laughs> Mike, the Olsen brothers won Eurovision for Denmark. Do you remember it? Yeah, no, not at all. 
Okay. Well, the question I've got for you is the Olsen brothers. Which one is one of the Olsen brothers? Is it Jorgen Olsen or is it Jesper Olsen? Uh, Jorgen Olsen. Jorgen Olsen. Well done, Mike. Jesper Olsen was a Manchester United player in the uh, 1980s. So congratulations. I think you're both doing really well so far. It's a clean sweep so far. Two all, is it? Mm. Yeah, good, good. Adam, things are getting tougher. We're going back to 1985 now. When we had a Norwegian winner, can you remember who the Norwegian winner was in 1985? <laughs> when I say I like Eurovision, it's basically since like the last six years. So, okay, so no, you... I cannot remember. Okay, so you, you're not, yeah, a hardened Eurovision fan, really. You just no, jumped on the bandwagon since oh, okay. Dreaming in the Waves. Yeah, 1997, I think. <laughs> Maybe 98, <laughs> I don't know. So, in 1985, the Norwegian winner was Body Socks. I won't ask you to sing this one, Adam, but I will ask you, who was a member of Body Socks? Was it Tommy Savindle Larsen or was it Hanny Krogh? Oh, I think Hanny Krogh sounds like a footballer. So I'm going to go with the first one. You're obviously a big Eurovision fan, but you're not a fan of Championship Manager because Tommy Savindle Larsen is a Championship Manager legend. Played for Starbeek and Nuremberg. Mike, you, you look like you knew that. I knew that. I get only this time, admittedly, the, the, since my first question, it's all been about the footballers, to be honest. OK, well, here's your chance to take the lead. In 1981, Bucks Fizz won for the UK. Who was the band member? Was it Mike Nolan or Kevin Nolan? Mike Nolan. It was Mike Nolan. Congratulations. Kevin Nolan, of course, is a footballer. How did you get that one? That's, that was ridiculous. <laughs> I wanted to go to like that's a like saying, one. Like, wanted... like who was the member of the band? Was it David Beckham or David <laughs> McEurovision? Oh, don't be bitter. Oh I was trying <laughs> to double bluff him. Like, I'm beating him at his own quiz and he's not wow. happy about it. It's your, it's your chance to come back strong here, though, because you look like you were a fan of Brotherhood of Man and their 1976 <laughs> uh, Eurovision winning song. So the question is, who was a member of Brotherhood of Man? Was it Martin Lee or was it Richie Partridge? Oh, Martin Lee. It is Martin Lee, because of course, Richie Partridge, Mike. Richie Partridge was a championship, well, he was a real footballer for Liverpool, but um, <laughs> on championship manager, he was like one of those young, awesome players you had to, you had to sign in, might be football manager, the 2000 version, whatever that was called. Um, so you're level again, but Mike's got a chance to take the lead and, and indeed win it. This is the last one. I do have a tiebreaker, but this is the last one. So for the win, Mike, in 1975, as you're aware, Tekin won it for Holland. I'm familiar. So who is the band member of Tekin? Is it Boy Waterman or is it Kuz Verskeeg? Kuz Verskeeg. You're very quick to answer that. Well... Congratulations, Mike. You are the closet Eurovision fan. You have uh, you've won making your mind up. We always knew. I'm I'm so happy, honestly. I can't even tell you how pleased I am to beat Adam at that one. Just because it was Eurovision <laughs> based, uh, I, I I think he come in a little overconfident, to be honest. And I've wiped the floor with him. Sitting there with his European flag bunting in the background. If only, if only. <laughs> no, it's British bunting for, for the coronation. <laughs> That's Which will then double as believable for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as a Liverpool fan, let's not get into it. <laughs> so, gents, what do you two know about Portuguese football? Me, not a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, I think my my knowledge of 
Portuguese football probably goes as far as some of the biggest players they've had, Luis Figo and Cristiano Ronaldo, some cool football shirts. And I'll be honest with you, that's pretty much about it for me. Yeah, likewise. I have a few Portugal national team shirts, but I don't believe I own a single Portuguese team shirt, not even, you know, a, a Sporting or Porto. So not even Benfica. So sorry, Pedro who was uh, on the pod this week as well. I do have a Porto shirt. I mentioned it to Pedro once and he wasn't very pleased about it. No, no, he wasn't. But um, but you're right, we do, we, we, we probably do lack a little bit of knowledge, which is why we brought in some help this week when we spoke to Philippe de Alaves and we brought in our friend Pedro. So let's hear Pedro and Tom chatting with Philippe about the Portuguese Cup finals and some of the great stories and some of the great shirts and players that have featured in those games. Hello listeners and welcome to this week's feature where we are joined by Philippe Daviles who is the author of 1000 Miles from Jamor, A Journey into Portuguese Football and to help me with this I've drafted in a friend of the pod and it's Pedro. Hello both. Hello. Hi. Glad to have you on as well because you're someone I talk to a lot off the pod but I think it's the first time you've been on and you're going to be a big help for this this feature with me but Felipe perhaps we could start if you just give us a quick introduction to who you are and why you wrote the book. I am a journalist. I worked for several years for one of Portugal's leading media groups, Renascença, and uh, since then, for about uh, for just over a year, I've been working more as a freelance, officially as a freelancer. I am bilingual. Uh, my mother's family is English and I was born in Canada and, and went to international schools. So that explains my English and also my slight North American accent. I'm a huge uh, football fan. I always have been uh, rather inexplicably because neither of my parents are big fans. I got the, the football bug and and have been a huge fan of the game for, for all my life. And what I particularly love about football is the football culture. So I'm I'm not at all an expert on tactics. You know, I'm not a uh, a, a sofa a, a sofa manager as we say in Portuguese you know is one of the, <laughs> one of the guys, those guys who has a million opinions and can always do better than whatever manager happens to be ahead of the team not at all I know nothing about tactics positions quite often I don't know the names of the players who are on the pitch but I love the football atmosphere I love the festivity around it I love the culture around it the stories I think that the what really makes football great is 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 the fans and uh, and the reason I wrote the book was because the Portuguese Cup is I mean in all countries the cup is always a very special uh, tournament but in Portugal especially uh, to do also with the with the venue for the final uh, which is always played almost always played in the in the national stadium uh, on the outskirts of Lisbon in the middle of, of the woods there's a huge party atmosphere around the game and uh which lasts all day and it's really something that i don't think you can find anywhere else in in sort of as we would say first world football and i thought that that deserved uh more attention than it was getting and also in the cup we always have those you know occasionally heartbreaking stories of the small team that almost makes it or occasionally the small team that goes all the way and wins the cup and and i'm really passionate about those stories i mean i have my own team i'm, I'm a Benfica fan so I'll, i will always want Benfica to win the cup but but when they don't uh you know we're always cheering for the underdog and so and so the, there's always that and i remember seeing a lot of these games and thinking someone should be telling the story 
more in depth, really focusing on the fans on, and especially on the fans of the teams that never really make it that far. But still, for them, the cup is like their their Champions League. It's it's one that they know they they have a slight chance of getting of progressing and and. Every step they go, every step further that they go is always a huge celebration. So uh, so one year I decided, let's do it. Uh, let's try and watch uh, one game for every round until the final. I needed to pick a team to start with because there are hundreds of teams that start in, in the first round. The, the, the first and second division teams or first and second tier teams don't take part in the first in the first two rounds of the cup. And and so who was I going to start with? And I thought, so the finals always played in the same venue, the Jamor Stadium. That's that's where the name of the book comes from. So I'm going to pick the club that comes the furthest away geographically from Jamor. And that was uh, one of two clubs from one of the Azorian islands called Graciosa. These are fifth tier clubs and and uh, and they're, they're both big rivals so which which one of them would i pick they share a stadium so they're both in an equal distance away the the, the 1000 miles um hence the name of the book and uh graciosa fc was cho- was drawn to play against casapia which is uh, about 15 minutes away from where i live and so i thought right that's it you know this this is what i'm going to follow i knew nothing about the club at all uh i reached out got in touch with some fans um of course uh, any native of Graciosa who was living on the mainland would would be wanting to go to this game uh, so 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 that worked out well I met up with the fans and then from then on my my initial method was I will follow the winning team so Casapia won that game after Casapia won that game they drew uh, Montijo so I focused on Casapia then they won again and drew Angres for also another Azorian team so I kept following that same line but I but I I, I was with the, the fans of the other team. So I, I would always have a chance of, of supporting different fans and, and learning about different fans and hanging out with different fans. At the very start, those two teams, I was hoping you was going to say you picked them based on their kits. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. no, I didn't. I'm not a huge collector. I have I have my fair share, but I'm not one of those guys. You know, I'm not I'm not a fanatic. I don't buy everything under the sun. I don't. I actually the only Benfica kit I own uh, was given to me when when one of my daughters was born, so it has her name on the back, and I've told oh. her it's hers. <laughs> uh, I occasionally wear it, but only, but only very occasionally. Um, but then I like I like to to collect, not collect. I, I like to have uh, shirts of sort of un- unexpected uh, clubs, uh, sort of small smaller clubs. So I do in fact have I, when I'd finished the book, I had the opportunity to go to the Azores and, and participate in the 100th anniversary of uh, Engres. And I took advantage of the fact that I was traveling to, to also visit Graciosa and, and present, <clears throat> present the book there. And for Graciosa, for, for Graciosa, this was like the biggest thing that had ever happened to them. I've, you know, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here, but, but they were, you know, to, to appear in a book about the Portuguese Cup for them, it was, it was massive because they were a very, very small team from a very small island. And, uh, and so they, they welcomed me, you know, they received me really well and very, very kindly and, and, uh, and hosted me and, and they gave me a shirt. So I now own a, a Graciosa shirt. Uh, I, I, I got another one from, because, because I covered Casapia and I was really fascinated by Casapia because they're a very special Portuguese club. They're one of the mm-hmm. few clubs in Portugal that are not, they're not a local team. 
they they are the, the, the club of an institution which is a, which is basically an orphanage uh, nowadays also accepts students from from who are, who are not orphans but essentially they, they were Gazapi was created as an institution to, to host orphans is that still the case now then is that still the well rule the, for the, that club? The, the school the school still exists the club and the school have officially separated right uh, but that's but that's also really interesting because the, the club and the school officially separated right but the 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 head of the school of the institution it's more than just a school the head of the institution is an honorary chair chairman or chairwoman of the club as well so they maintain some connection the students of the institution are always given the opportunity to go and play different sports for Gazapia because most clubs in Portugal are not just football they'll they'll have other sports as well and Gazapia for example i only learned that at the time are national are one of the powerhouses of uh, of field hockey in, uh, okay. in Portugal, which is which is a very small sport in Portugal, bigger in the UK, I know, but 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 an old sport in Portugal, and uh, and so there is still that connection. But what's interesting is the 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 school itself had a massive overhaul because they had a big pedophilia scandal in the uh, around twenty two thousands, I think. Yeah, yeah, early two thousands, and and so there was a huge reform, and and they changed a lot of the of the atmosphere at the school. They stopped having. Uh, I think they did away with the boarding system or, or at least reduced the boarding system and, and so on. And so what happens now is that a lot of the guys who are involved in the club who are former residents, former students of the school, they say, no, the school has lost its spirit. We are the real keepers of the Casapia spirit. Mm. So they consider themselves sort of like the keepers of the flame. Uh, so <laughs> that gives the club a very, very interesting atmosphere. Um, and that was that was really interesting to, to to learn about. And one of the things I learned when I was there is that they they have there's a a satellite club, um, which is quite common for 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 bigger clubs in Portugal. Like there are dozens of of local Benficas and Sportings and and uh, and <clears throat> branches of of Porto and other clubs uh, who will use the same colors, almost the same emblem, and then just have a slightly different name. And Casapia only had one club of the sort when they were invited to go and play in the island of Fayal in the Azores in the I think maybe 1919 or early 1920s I can't remember the exact date and they went and played Fayal as one of the oldest clubs in in Portugal they went and played there and because they were essentially a team for orphans and and kids were sort of down on their luck uh, the they were the local fishing community on the island of Fayal really took to them and started up a club uh, which which became a branch of Gazapia. It's the only branch they have officially still today and it's known as Angustias. Angustias being the neighborhood that they're from. And Angustias means anguish, sorrow. Mm. It comes from our, our Lady of Anguish, Our Lady of Sorrows. It's a very Saint. Portuguese thing. Very Portuguese thing. And also Portuguese love, love to be melancholic about yes, but, a lot but of things. And, and also remember these are fishing communities. So you know, this is an Our Lady, this is a, an image of Our Lady that the women especially would identify with whenever their husbands went out to sea. They would be in anguish waiting to see if they were ever coming back or not. So and and when I visited the island a couple of years ago, uh, I got a I got a shirt. I got a shirt from them, which was which was quite nice. Otherwise, I have um I had a friend who worked in Somalia for a time, so I have two Somalia shirts, which I which are quite exotic. An East Timor shirt, which came, it had it had grass stains on it when my mother brought it back from East Timor, so I think she got it directly from the Minister for Sport. And I, then I have a couple of, uh, I have a very good friend who's a Red Star fan uh, from Serbia, so I've got a couple of Red Star shirts, one Serbia shirt as well. 
a Hajduk split shirt because there's a, a close uh, relationship between Befica fans and Hajduk split, pretty much sort of the more exotic shirts in my collection. Uh, I have a, a replica of an Austria shirt uh, worn by their star player, Sindelar. From the last game they played before the Anschluss, it was, oh, it, was wow. a, it was a celebratory game, supposed to be a celebratory game to celebrate the Anschluss, but the Austrian team really took it to the Germans and they destroyed the Germans on the pitch. But he was, he was very much anti-Nazi. Yeah. And he, he turned up dead a couple of weeks later in his house. It was never quite clear if it was an accident or if he was murdered. But, but I'm, when I read about that story, I thought, you know, this, this is the sort of shirt that you, you've, you've got to get. So. so in your book, you really, it's a journey from the very start of the Portuguese Cup all the way to the final and and in doing so you kind of can take in all that culture and fan culture of the Portuguese football system and I mean I guess there's a question to you as well Pedro as another kit collector like for fans of Portuguese clubs how important is the club shirt is is it something you see is it a culture where you see all the fans on the terraces in a in a replica I think you do I think it's becoming much more prominent um I mean you see the kits everywhere nowadays you know the marketing just it's it's all over the place really um but i think it's much more of a, a modern thing to see i mean when i used to go out to portugal in the, in the summer back in the back in the 90s you didn't see everybody in the replica kits it wasn't something it, they were far too expensive it wasn't something that people were looking out for they'd possibly buy some fake one off the market um, their aunt might bring it home. They just, you know, they'd go off to sell something in the market, come back with a with a gift. Um, so it wasn't something that was particularly important. Um, however, the other day, the other night, actually, I was watching a, a documentary on Netflix about the Sportivo das Aves when they won the Portuguese Cup against Sporting a couple of years back. There's a, a 50 minute documentary about it. And it's it's very much about the te- the team and how they won, but there's a lot about the fans and there's a lot of Avs shirts with name sets on the back, and I think it's something that now it's seen as the thing to do to show your your support. I would say twenty twenty five years ago it was probably having a scarf, and you see a lot of scarves in cafes. That's the thing to kind of like the souvenir to to have. But I think nowadays it's much more of a of a, a kit thing. Um, I don't know if it's quite the same as in in the UK. Um, I think it's still kind of like growing. Um, I mean, it's only in the last three years that you've seen Benfica releasing like a third kit. I mean, they had they released the third kit back in '98 with the the black shirt with the laces, um, and that was the first time. And everybody was thinking, well, what's the point? You've got a red shirt and a white shirt. How much more contrast do you need? And then after that, there was there wasn't any third kit, and then about. Three, four years ago, they released a, a third kit, and even then they didn't use it. But they're starting to see that people like kits. Or maybe maybe Adidas is putting into their into their heads that you want to get a third kit out and, uh, and market it. But um, it's something that's that's appearing a lot more. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. It's it's it, it it's happening a lot more, and it, with the rise of merchandising, uh, merchandise in general with with Portuguese football, which is something that I think Portuguese football took a long time to, to catch up with. I remember mm. in Benfica's old stadium, the Benfica shop was it was you know it was ridiculous. It was they had mm. maybe two or three different 
t-shirts the designs were no good and nowadays they invest a lot of money in, in it and and they have you know they have good stuff it's obviously ridiculously overpriced but that's the that, that's the same everywhere um i i personally find it very very difficult to pay out 90 euros for yeah. for a football shirt you know it's it's just and i would i will occasionally wear a, a, another club shirt for to 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 a, a benfica game but um but my daughters for example they when for their birthdays they ask for Benfica shirts and and they'll wear them to 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 home games um, when I take them. So so it is it is changing. Back then it wasn't just collecting scarf. I think I remember people just collect a lot of um, pocket calendars with the fixtures of, of yes. the, the, the fixtures for the season, and the pocket calendar would have the a picture of, of the team, um, like the the team photo that they do at the start of the season, and people just have lots of those pocket calendars. That's what they would. They would collect, or I remember something else that they collect: Coca-Cola bottles, the inside of a Coca-Cola um, bottle top. It would have like that little rubber bit inside. It would have a picture of a football player, and you'd that would be another thing to collect, as well as like the, the stickers as well. But going back to like with the prices, um, I think it, the clubs. I don't know about Sporting or Porto, but I've seen that. I think Benfica have kind of like seen this thing about how expensive the the shirts are because they in the shop now they'll sell the current season's kit you know by adidas whatever and then they'll have a version of the same design but without the branding so it's a much more simplified version at i don't know 50 euros less so that they know that there's going to be people it's almost like they know that it's expensive and they almost say look there's nothing we can do this is what the price is set but here's if you want to wear something from this season Here's this version, which is officially licensed. We've got the rights to the design that Adidas, Adidas have used. So um, there's a, a cheaper a cheaper version. I was just going to say, a couple of years back, when Benfica released the, uh, the, their home shirt and it had the badge in gold and black, there was a lot of, a lot of talk amongst the Benfica fans about how it goes against the statutos, against the, uh, the statutes of the, of the club. The club was always supposed to be red and white, and this gold is an affront to the club. And there was a lot of chat about this. So there's definitely much more of a, a kit culture nowadays uh, than, it was in, than it was in the past. Yeah, but Sporting, since they switched to to Macron, the 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 brand. Um, I remember, of course, we all teased them because no one knew what Macron was, and and, yeah. and so it seemed like a you know a poor club's brand. But uh, from what I heard, they is they're making things at a much more accessible price. And so you know, putting putting uh, club preference aside, if what you want is the best for the fans and and for the fans to be able to to have access to to stuff, that seems like it might be a, a wise a wise direction to go in. Just going back to your book as well, Felipe. So really, it's a, a real window into Portuguese football culture. And a lot of our listeners will know a lot about the English FA Cup, obviously. And the Portuguese Cup, how does that compare in terms of the fan experience, how much it means? You know, there's this, always this saying of the, the, the magic of the FA Cup, the fairy tale of the cup. Is it a similar feeling in Portugal? Definitely. To give you, to give you an example, um, when I wrote the book, 
Uh, so this was the 2018-2019 season, I think. I remember it was the last season before before COVID. Um, so it was very lucky because if I'd tried to write it the next year, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to get to halfway through the season. I'd have had to stop. But in that season, it, the final was uh, Porto FC Porto Sporting final, and that was the first time in 12 years, I think, that two of the big three clubs in Portugal met at the final. So before that, you had always had a smaller club reaching the final. And the story that Pedro was telling a little while ago about Sportivo das Aves, uh, they won it the previous year. So I was doing it the season after they'd, they'd won it. And their win was one of the things that, that made me think, you know, this is something that has to be documented. Um, if you imagine, I, then I, I, I went, one of the clubs I picked to follow in my season was Sportivo das Aves. Uh, luckily, in the tie in which they were then eliminated by Braga, but I got to hang out with their fans and they were able to tell me fans of theirs who'd been to every game in the, in the last season, the, the last cup season and tell me what it had been like from the first game. And I, and then I tell that story in my book, you know, for, from the very first uh, tie of the, of, of the cup all the way to Jamor and then what it was like to win it. And you just, you know, you can, you can't, and it's the same in English football. You, know, you can't overestimate how important it is for a club, for a, a club like this who to, to win anything at all, um, especially the second biggest trophy in, in the country. I and mean, they know that the first biggest is completely out of reach. They'll never win it. And so for them, this is the Champions League. It's, it's, it's the biggest thing they could, they could dream of. And then tragically, two seasons later, the Zavs folded, basically. They've had to start over from scratch. Uh, so, so for them, you know, that was it. They reached that, that, that height, like Icarus, you know, they flew, they touched the sun and then, and then, and then, they they fell into the sea and they've had to start all over again. Um, but but if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, it was worth it. You know, definitely because. But for many clubs, obviously, that story of you know this is one of those typical stories of guys who came in, invested, built up the club, and then when things started not going as well as they wanted to, packed up and left and and, and left the fans and the club in a desperate situation. Um, and for every success story like the Zavs, there are maybe 15 that, that just never work out at all. Um, but yeah, so going back to your original question, it is definitely similar, uh, a similar experience. What then I think what really makes the difference is that, and in that also it's similar because then you have Wembley and we have the national stadium and that's actually mm-hmm. rarer than, than, than I thought. I mean, I, when I was growing up, I thought, okay, every country must have a venue where they have the cup final. That's not actually the case. Um, in many countries, they, they vary, but yeah, so we have that and there's all this mystique around the stadium, but the advantage over Wembley is that our stadium is a 1940s stadium, which is completely old school and, and no one wants it changed. The only time you'll hear people talking about it maybe being changed is when you have Befica against Porto in the final. And then Porto fans will say, oh, Befica are playing at home and they're, you know, it's, we're going down to Lisbon. Why are we going down to Lisbon? But otherwise, I covered the, so I covered for the book, I covered the Porto Sporting final. And all the Porto fans I spoke to all said, no, you know, we don't, no one touches the venue for the, for the cup final. This is it. You know, this is Jamord. We, you can't take away Jamord. The atmosphere is just is just unbelievable. It, it's it's, it's a, like a, a festival. It's but it's like a festival, but then it's it's a it's a security nightmare as well, <laughs> because because I mean the you're 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 in the middle of the woods, so there are branches yeah. and stones everywhere. People are people are are, are roasting uh, piglets and or or like or big you know adult pigs over skewers and and drinking and 
endlessly. So there's there, there are bottles. And, I don't remember uh, Access being very good there as well because I, I remember. No, I the Access is uh, terrible. Uh, it's all terrible, the, uh, but it's but it's the, the staging is stunningly beautiful. Stunningly yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's got no no cover, so it's it's brilliant in May when it's you know beautiful sunshine. But if you get a random day of rain, there's nobody. Doesn't matter if you're a VIP or anything. You're just going to get rained on. It's got yeah. no cover at all. Um, I, I went. I went to a, one of Benfica's last cup finals against Guimarães, and it rained from the starting whistle until the end of the game, and it was just ridiculous. We we were soaked to the bone, um, and there's just nothing you can do. You know, you can go and hide in a bathroom, but that that's about it. It's it's like the great leveler, isn't it? You've got all that heritage of you know the domestic cup trophy. You get to the final, it's unchanged since the forties. All that tradition, the great leveler, like you were saying, Pedro. No VIPs. I think it's really romantic, which is what you want a cup. I'd also say that you know, growing up, um, and we'd see the F- we'd watch the FA Cup final on a on a Saturday, and he'd have that all day build up. And now nowadays, it's become very very watered down. It's basically here's the match at a, a really awkward time. Um, the build up has kind of disappeared. But in Portugal, with the cup final, that build up is still it's still there. Like from early on, like you wake up in the morning, you stick the news on. It's like it's cup final day. Um, it's just still it's still a big thing and going back to like how important the, the the cup is you only have to look at like the the honors for the portuguese league and you see how it's the big three that win it with a random bovista win and a bolognese win back in I don't know, when my dad was a, a teenager but you look at the the roll call for the portuguese cup braga have won it abs have won it guimarães have won it um there was a, a setubal won it and then when yeah. stubal won it so they beat benfica in the final um, and Benfica were the holders from the previous season, and that previous season they beat Jose Mourinho's Porto, yeah. um, which was the season they won the Champions League. So then Porto lost to Benfica. The following season, Benfica went to the final and lost to Stubal, and then Stubal were back in the final the following year and then lost that final. But you've got lots of um, my local teams, because my, my parents live near Coimbra, so my local team, or local-ish, there's two local teams, but you've got Academica. Um, so they won... Uh, the cup in in 2011 or something like this. So it's that it's because the Portuguese league obviously you need that consistency. Um, and over a, a, a season, those smaller teams are going to not have that consistency. For seven seven matches in the cup or eight or whatever, you just never know. The you know the luck might be on your side, and you'll see that the big teams might fall by the wayside because they faced each other in a in a previous round. So these these teams get a chance to get to the final and then, you know, one match against a big team. Yeah. Anything or, the, or, there's, or there's that classic situation where the, the big team are drawn in the third round to play against some very small local team. And so they'll field a team of basically of reserves. Mm. And, and that's just the day the luck was shining on the other side and, and you're gone. And, um, and so that happens, that, ha- that happens a, a lot more often than, than one would expect. Yeah. I, I do want people to go out and, and search your book out, Felipe, and to buy it and to read it. So I, I'm going to ask you this next question, but I don't want you to give too much away because I do want people to read it for themselves. But do, do you have any or a particular highlight from a, a game that you went to or a particular set of fans that you really enjoyed immersing yourself with from the book that, that you can tell us was like a real seminal moment? Well, I, I've mentioned the um, I've mentioned the Yavish fans. Uh, that was a lot of fun because I the thing in Portugal 
it's rare to find fan, people who, who just support their local team. Okay, quite often they will be fans of, you know, they'll say, yeah, I live in Ops, okay, so Ops is my local team, but I'm a Porto fan as well, or I'm a Befica fan as well. That's what that's what generally happens. And so for, that was interesting because they were really just Ops fans. And a couple of them said, well, you know, when I was little, I used to support another team, but nowadays it's just Ops for me. So so that it was it was interesting for 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 a fan of, of one of the big three. It was it was humbling and it was it was it was unusual to be immersed in that, you know, to, to see that these guys are genuine fans of a smaller club. Uh, one of the clubs that I most enjoyed covering was Les Um th- Those are the ones I think, I think it was with them that I broke the rules, sort of I broke my own rules so that I could go and watch the, and watch them play. Because Les Choyges have, uh, have an important uh, history in, in, the, in the cup. They're, they're a much bigger team than the position that they occupy nowadays. One of the things, I mean, you, you could say I'm being biased because I'm, I'm a Befica fan, but I think one of, the, uh, one of the downsides of Porto having grown so much over the past decades is that they really sort of dried up the competition around the, the city of Porto. So you had Bovista, which was a historically strong team, and then they were, they were demoted for, for a corruption scandal never quite made it back. Um, there was Salgairuj, which was, which was also an important historical team. You know, I, I've, I got to watch Befica play against Salgairuj. They've folded, haven't they? Yeah, I, I think they've, you know, they've, they've started up again. But, but yeah, but yeah. essentially the, the club as it was ended. Um, and there were others around there. But Les Choyes had the particularity, they were always big rivals of Porto. And, um, and they were one of the few places near Porto where when Porto fans went to play there, they had to watch their backs. And so, of course, for a Befica fan, you know, this was exciting to learn about this club that, that faces up to, to their big uh, rivals in, in Porto. And, and in saying this, I'm, there, there is no history that I know of of Les Choynes being like secretly supporting Befica. You know, it, it's, I've, as a Befica fan, I've been to, I've been to see Les Choynes. They played against in Bovista Stadium, not, a, not in their home ground at the time. But I remember as we were walking to the stadium and we were, it was clear to see that we weren't locals, you know, we were Befica fans and we got some abuse, uh, abusive words tossed at us, you know, so, so it's not, it's not one of those situations where they're just sort of uh, secretly supporting Befica and then pretending to support Les Chonches. And, and a lot of this history with Porto went, dates back to a famous cup final that they had in the sixties in which, uh, so it was Porto, Les Chonches in the final. And another thing, sorry, just to, to Les Chonches is a fishing uh, village. Well, it's a town nowadays, or I think it's a, it's in Matuzinhos, which is a city. Uh, but Leixões, the Leixões district, is a fishing district in Matuzinhos. So, so they also have very much this fisherman spirit, um, which which then gives them a, a, a very particular identity. Um, but the but this cup final in the sixties was the first time that Porto did something that they then did another two times later on, which was say. Well, two teams from the north. Why are we going to play down down in Lisbon? Let's have the cup final in the north, which you know would seem to make sense. Except the final was played in Porto Stadium, um, and even even though that happened, Les Choynes went there and they won the game. And and so I tell the story around that, and I speak to some some of the guys who 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 were at that game, you know, and who who remember that, and it's 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 a huge part of the of the of the club's uh, collective memory, and so that was a lot of fun to to explore. Casapia, as I mentioned, um, not because of the fans so much, but because of the club. 
and 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 this and the special atmosphere of the club. And then I did something which was fun, uh, which was the the semifinal um, was Befica Sporting. And so I thought, okay, you know what, I'm going to talk about Befica fans and Sporting fans. Those, if anyone knows anything about football, Portuguese football, then that's what they know. So how can I do this from a different perspective? And so what I did was I picked, I picked people who are like the only fan of that club in a family in which everyone else supports the rival. So I had two guys where one was a was the only Befica fan in an extended family of like 30 cousins where everyone supports Sporting, and then and then one which was vice versa. And and then I had a couple of others, and I had um, uh, a couple who are my they're they're my in laws. I can say this now. I don't I don't know if I mentioned it in the, mentioned it in the book, but they're they're my in laws. So my 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 wife's sister, huge Befica fan, as I often say, knows way more about football in general than me. But sort of, there's no comparison. And um, and her husband is a huge Sporting fan, and so I spoke to both of them about how how they lived the derbies, you know, how, how they experienced the derbies. And now that they have children, they said it was easy before when we were dating. We just, we, we, we had a pact. We wouldn't talk to each other on the day. That was it. No provocations. <laughs> just, we would not communicate on the day. But now that they're married, obviously that's not an option. And now that they, and then there's another factor. They started having kids and their first son was a huge football fan, but was torn between his mother and his father. And it, and it was, it was, I mean, I can say this, as an uncle, you know, watching him grow up, okay, occasionally my kids are all Befica fans. And so occasionally they'd be like, oh, Johnny, support Befica, support Befica. And he's like, oh, but my dad, oh, but my mom. And I, I occasionally I'd have to say, you know, guys, stop, stop. Just leave him alone because this is not, you know, it's, it's not been good for him. And, and he eventually he, he chose Sporting, which was his father's club. Um, but it was for a while, my sister-in-law, when I spoke to her, she said, yeah, well, you know, it was difficult for a while. He'd, he'd, he'd wake up with nightmares and, and it's just absurd for someone who doesn't understand football and culture. You read this and you think it's like, it's like, it's, it's like abuse, you know, to, to put a kid in, into a situation like this. Um, but that's, that, that's what it's like for many families in which people take their clubs very seriously and that they're just for their spouse. So I'm a Benfica fan. My dad's Benfica fan. My mom is Benfica fan who's far too loud and too emotional um, when we're watching it. Me and my dad would just be sat there going, oh, you know, this has happened. My mum is up and screaming. But um, my uncle was a season ticket holder at Sporting. So every time we went over to visit, he'd always be in my ear saying, you've got to be a Sporting fan. Don't follow your dad. You've got to be a Sporting fan. And then he'd wind me up about my favourite player at the time, which was the Benfica captain, a right back called uh, Veloso. Veloso. Course. And he was he was my favorite. I don't know why he wasn't the flair player. He was just a just a a, a good right back. Um, and actually, my first kit ever, full shirt, socks, shorts, was a sporting kit with a number ten on the back, <laughs> which at the time was a Mexican player called Negret, who scored a bicycle kick for Mexico in the nineteen eighty six World Cup, which has become quite um, iconic. That goal. And I used to wear the sporting shirt and kit because it was the first full football kit that I had. And then my, my uncle would say, oh, so now you're fully sporting, thinking that he's converted me. I'm like, no, no, I'll wear the sporting kit, but I'll, I'll always follow my dad. I'm always Benfica. <laughs> and it would just it used to just grind his gears a little bit. But it, this happens a lot in Portugal, like Philippe saying, it's just like you've know, you got this kind of like trying to convince, trying to tug a tug of war between getting them to support the team that you support. So thankfully, I've got no one in my son's ear. So basically, I've just shown him loads of things. It's just Benfica badges around the house, so he doesn't know a sporting badge or a Porto badge. (laughs) 
Felipe, it's been a really good insight into the Portuguese cup and kind of knowing a little bit more. I know we've only really scratched the surface about the culture and then the fan culture, but I do want to implore people to go out and get this book and to give it a read and to, to find out a lot more because I know there is a, a lot more to it and your journey must have been incredible. But one question we always ask our guests when we have them on this pod and I'm going to ask you and I'm also going to ask Pedro as well because he's not been on before but Felipe I'll start with you so what we like to ask is you have the ultimate combination of any kit from any era any team and any player from any era any team what combination of football kit and football player would you go for? I would have to say Eusebio or either Eusebio or Jose Aguas uh, who, who won the first who was the ca- who captained Befica's uh, first um, European European uh, title uh, and and held up the trophy, but yeah, I mean, the kits would be identical from one season to the next. We won it two years in a row. Eusebio is starring in the second year, but yeah, I, I think I would have to say Eusebio and uh, and and his number ten. You've put Pedro on the rack there with that answer, but Pedro, I'm going <laughs> to ask you the same question. Um, I'm not going to go back to Eusebio. That's because because it's that's my my dad's period and he's the one who's told me stories of going to study the lose when he was 17 and watching his every play i'm going to go more for my my lifetime i'm going to go with Rui costa uh and i'm going to uh, pick the the hummel shirt um that he he wore um i know most people will just know him because of his fiorentina days but even when he was young at benfica you could just see that there was something different about him and i i Kind of like that languid look and uh, the languid way of playing. It just looked like it was effortless. And then those those kits from the nineties. Um, there's just something about how scratchy they are that that I kind of like. <laughs> but I, while I was thinking about this, I was also trying to think. Well, it would probably be a bit too obvious to just pick a Benfica player because of me being a Benfica fan. So I was just thinking if I could do like if there was some somebody from Porto, or somebody from Sporting that I would also pick. Um, and I was trying to think of like if there was a combination. Um, so I was thinking, right, I'd, I'd pick Rui Costa for, for Benfica. Maybe for, for Porto, I'd probably go with Jardel. I the know Brazilian. The Brazilian. It's just because everything he touched, it just scored all the time. And it was so frustrating because it just, it just felt like there was nothing you can do. And you just, you just, he's the type of player you'd want in your team. Um, so when he went to Bolton and did... Nothing. Nothing. It was kind of really <laughs> weird to, to to just see him not score for Sporting. Who who would pick? But it'd probably be Figo because even then he was when he was at Sporting, he was easily the best best there. Although there was another guy called Pace who was really good and probably probably bigger at the time, or or they thought there was more potential there. But was wasn't but yeah. it Pace? I think I think it was Pace was elected the the best player in the yeah. nineteen eighty nine. Uh, under 19's World Cup that Portugal won and then his his career pretty much just sort of I think he got a really big injury and then it was just difficult for him to get Mm -hmm. back from it but he was the one that everybody was like this is who we're going to build around you know since since Pedro made a big effort for to be to be good (laughs) sportsman and uh, and uh, and mention players he admires from other from from our bigger rivals Um, I'll tell you one thing um I mean, obviously, I agree with what he said about Jardel. I would never wear a Jardel shirt because for me, <laughs> no, he, no, he no, was, he was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare, because he played for Porto and then for Sporting. Uh, and he just and, scored all the time yeah, no, for all Porto the time, and Sporting. All the time. Just... All the time. It, it was ridiculous. Uh, I, I, he had a very famous moment. I, I can't remember the names of the clubs, but he played in Italy at one point. 
I think maybe Ancona, but I, but I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. And uh, and he was he was shown onto the pitch sort of to be presented to the fans and dutifully ran over to where the away fans were and started applauding the away fans because he had no clue where he was or who the home <laughs> fans were. He was just, and you know because he he was he was not he was not well towards the end of his career. You know there was yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, substance abuse was, in it uh, anyway. Was it gambling uh, addiction as well? I think gambling addiction. I think a lot of cocaine as well. But 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 anyway. And then he sort of tried a political career in Brazil. But it, it was yeah, it was it was a nightmare. Uh, but he um, yeah. But to there's one player who features quite prominently in my book. That's uh, Bruno Fernandes because oh, wow. he's he's he scored in every Sporting game uh, in the in the cup. Um, including in the final against Porto. Although I think that ball then rebounded off a Porto player. And so I think it was officially attributed to someone else, but it was his goal. And watching him play, and he single-handedly eliminated Befica in the semifinal uh, com- completely, because Befica had a much better team than Sporting that mm. year. We'd, we we played them a couple of weeks earlier in, all, in their stadium and just completely trampled them. We won 4-2 because they had a penalty word in, in the last minute. Um, but but you know completely overran them with Jean Felix playing playing brilliantly, but uh, but Bruno Fernandes I remember was a player who I really learned to admire in, in that season, and there was talk there had been talk the season before of him coming to Benfica because Sporting which had just imploded at the end of that last season when they lost to Avs and before that there had been their fans invaded their training academy and beat up some of the players it was just a complete mm-hmm. meltdown. and uh, and so there was talk at the time of of us getting revenge from when they'd taken a couple of our players in 1993 when we were in a huge crisis and uh, uh-huh. and I remember saying at the time you know don't do it for revenge you know if, if you're going to get a good player get him because he's a good player not for revenge that's just tacky but we ended up not getting anyone from Sporting but there was talk of getting him and he is an absolutely brilliant player I don't follow foreign football as much uh, so so I you know I don't see him regularly playing for Man United but when he was here I really I really learned to admire him so you know for, for my, my bit of uh a fair play today will go to uh, stretching out my arm to, to Bruno Fernandes. I was going to say, uh, Philippe, about your book, what, what I love is that it's not just about Benfica, Porto and Sporting, which everybody knows about. I think it's good that um, we're looking at the other teams in Portugal, no matter how, what what size they are. And what what I did love was because I have watched sixth, seventh tier football in Portugal, it <laughs> I could almost smell the Bifanas coming out of the page. And Bifanas, Tom, if you ever go to put, watch put, uh, football in Portugal, is this pork steak in a bread roll, really fatty, but just just good it's just good with a little with a little stubby beer Felipe sold me on the the, the roast pigs the roast pigs before the yeah, game yeah you all get that and you'll get how some guy who's just got this bunch of leaves that he just dips in a sauce and he's just basting it throughout the whole the whole time that he's there but um the the fans is like <laughs> every fan you seem to that you spoke to i've had experience of somebody similar in my when i've been near my local team watching you know, seventh or eighth tier, whatever it was. Um, you know, you've got the, the dedicated fan who only supports that team. You've got the uh, the village 
weirdo who yeah. <laughs> uh, who's, who for some reason will have his vendetta against the lineman he will just follow the linesman or whatever um and there used to be a really great program on on portuguese tv uh, liga dos ultimos yes yes and it and it, imagine kind of like a, a match of the day but also like a travel log but it was only about fifth sixth seventh tier football and it used to be on on regular terrestrial tv and they just go up and down the country and then they take in these weird pitches with with sheep that are by the touchline and everything like this and then you'd have the they'd interview the village idiot who's always at the match and and it was it's just great fun uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a lot of fun going to like lower league football in portugal felipe one more time before we let you go just give us one last name for your book a shout out and where we can get it from Okay, so uh, the book in English is called 1,000 Miles to Jamur, A Journey into Portuguese Football. It's by Pitch Publishing. Uh, and um, I, I, since I'm not in England, I don't know if it's still available sort of in, in most shops, but I think off the website and off Amazon and so on. Uh, De- definitely definitely on Amazon, yeah. yeah. I, think it, yeah. It, I think it is available, yeah. Amazing. Honestly, enjoyed that so much. And hopefully we can talk again in the future. Always happy to talk about these the, the more interesting and sort of fan culture parts, uh, as long as you don't have me on as an expert on on <laughs> tactics and uh, and stuff like that, then I think uh, <laughs> I think we can have some fun. So yeah, definitely. Well, we got what we wanted. We've been educated about Portuguese football. Um, I can honestly say now I do know more than just Cristiano Ronaldo and a, and a Porto shirt that I own. So, yeah, that was really interesting. And obviously, big thanks to Pedro for jumping on that one for us as well, because I think he was a tremendous help to to Tom during that interview. Adam, has that tempted you to add a Portuguese shirt to the collection? Yeah, maybe uh, in honour of Pedro, maybe I'll get myself a Porto or Sporting shirt. right well that has been a very very busy week thank you so much for everybody who's listened i hope you've enjoyed it it's been very varied again do check out search for change and that great initiative but but hopefully you've enjoyed listening this week yeah and if you did enjoy listening obviously we still enjoy any feedback that we get via ratings on uh, spotify and apple podcasts and all of that stuff and Make sure you follow us on the socials. You only have to search They Think It's All Over on pretty much any of the socials and you will find us on there. We're constantly putting lots of football shirt-based nonsense on there. And over the next month or so, I know I'm going to say this because I'm part of the team here, but the interviews we've got lined up are incredible. And I'm talking people we never, ever imagined that we were going to be sat recording interviews with so please keep listening because once those recordings have taken place we may then start dropping little teasers as to who you can expect but honestly trust me it'll be worth it so just keep listening and adam thank you so much for stepping in your usual calm and collected manner yeah thank you very much um i would say to everyone if you've got any ideas for a good quiz that i might win at then please let adrian know because i feel that was rigged stop and, and i'm really upset really put out he's he's cancelled his trip to liverpool he's not even going up for eurovision now because he's cancelled fraud cancelled everything <laughs> just very he's sad ca- he's cancelled eurovision yeah cancelled eurovision, eurovision is done the only thing that's ever done that is covid i mean 
bigger than COVID. You all have a great time in Liverpool. It's uh, it's been done up. It's amazing. They've got like, many Ukraine villages and all sorts um, dotted around with songbirds. It's, it, it's they've gone all out. You're gonna have a great time, um, and hopefully forget all about the heavy defeat you suffered today at the hands of Mike. Four three, four three. But it's the manner of the victory, isn't it? You know, sometimes scores can be deceiving. Yeah, it, like if it was a penalty shootout, Mike's finishes were all emphatic. They were all like top corners, bottom corners. Keeping never a chance. Was I felt like some of yours keeper got a hand to even I'm, your right arm. I'm answers. doing you a favour by I, being I, on this. How I could think, you? <laughs> I think one of them, the keeper, caught and spilled into the net himself. <laughs> to be honest, I tell you what, as consolation prize, do you want to um, do the usual exit, Adam? Go on then. They think it's all over. It is now. <laughs>